0: amen amen and if you have your bibles would you please turn with me to the book of acts the book of acts in the new testament chapter number 18 acts 18 now uh, how many of you um, remember back uh, to your high school days how many of you remember back? How many of you are embarrassed to remember back to your high school days? <laughs> yeah, many hands. I see. I see. Now, um, how many of you remember when you had to go and get your class picture taken that was going to happen in the yearbook? Do you guys remember those days? Right. Have you ever looked back into one of your old yearbooks, or maybe you remember a picture of, of a person uh, in your class, your graduating class, where there was a caption underneath their picture that said something like, most likely to succeed. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? There's a, right, or, or maybe there was another similar quote that indicated that a certain individual was gifted in some way, or, or they were special, in in some way, and they were no doubt going to maybe quote-unquote make it in life. They were going to do well for themselves. Well, uh, it it seems that no matter what company, what school, what organization, what professional field, including the military, uh, there's almost always a picture or a plaque that somehow indicates who's in charge, or who's done well, or who's succeeding at something specific. Now, I'm I'm not standing up here to condemn anybody whose names are on plaque, so if you have a plaque that says, most likely to succeed, that's perfectly fine. Uh, The point that I'm trying to make to kick off this morning is that most of us know the feeling all too well of not having our name on a board. Not having our picture on a plaque or an idea of achieving something special or or being super successful almost seems to be a pipe dream for most people. Like it's just not ever going to happen in your life. Now for most of us, we just feel like the ordinary guy or girl, like the average Joe, the, the plain Jane. That's just how we feel. And maybe for some, we even maybe have feelings of failure or even embarrassment because of things from our past or something that you're currently walking through right now. And we look at our life and we think, well, I guess this is it. This is, this is just it. And the wonderful news that I have for us today is that God does not need you to be successful to be useful. Amen, church? God does not need you to be successful, to be useful, and being a failure does not make you useless to a mighty and a merciless, sorry, merciful, not merciless, merciful God. For you note takers in here this morning, I want you to write this down. God uses everyday people to accomplish his plans and purposes. He uses everyday ordinary people to accomplish his plans and purposes. And that is going to be our text today. Acts chapter 18, God using ordinary people for his plans and purposes. We are going to see regular average Joes and plain Janes in the text, except for they have really cool Bible names. But they're average Joes, plain Janes, cool Bible names, and they're used to do incredible and extraordinary things. This passage today is going to put hope into the hearts of people who feel that God could never, ever use them. But this passage is also going to remind us this morning that even successful people are not always the most spirit-filled, and they still need help. Our text is also going to remind us this morning that God not only works in and through the lives of regular and ordinary people, but he also does incredible and indescribable works in the most wicked and awful places. And that should bring great hope to the Christian today, especially in the world that we live in, the society that we find ourselves in. I mean, only God can bring unlikely people to unimaginable places and accomplish incredible things impacting the world for his glory. Only God can do something like that. And so as we're going to see in Acts chapter 18, Paul is on his third missionary journey. He's traveling to another place and through some of the very different cultures and experiences And he finds a world that is so very much in need of Christ. We see a side to Paul today that as I I was studying this out, I was moved in my spirit because I resonated at times with where we're going to find Paul at different points in ministry. He's going to show us this morning that even the strongest and most spiritual of God's servants get scared they get discouraged. And he's even going to show us that sometimes they get depressed. They get depressed. Sometimes they even want to quit on the journey that God has called them to. And so chapter 18 is going to pull back this curtain on Paul and makes Paul almost feel more human-like to us. How many of you have ever read or, or studied uh, out the life of Paul and you see all of the things that Paul walked through and went through and you're like, how did he just get stoned and got back up and shared the gospel again? He was shipwrecked and bitten by a venomous snake and, and he, just kept, he just kept going. How on earth did Paul do it? Well, we're going to see something today that makes Paul more human-like to us. And, and as we journey through this text, I want us to see the places that God was working in. I want us to keep something in mind about all of the people and all of the places that we're going to encounter today. And for you note takers, I want you to write this down. We can do the possible, but only God can do the impossible. Amen? God can do the impossible. And by today's standards, you could not have had a more ill-equipped group of people go into a more hostile environment than what we're going to see today. Now, I am in no way going to stand before you and advocate for sending people into ministry ill-prepared and under-supported. That's not what I'm saying. I would never support that. We do need to keep in mind the power and the presence of God at all times. Amen, church? And how it works through people and it's not dependent upon your skill or your talent or your training. It's not God's power and presence is is depending on our willingness to obey and to submit and surrender. And that, dear church, dear Christian this morning, can often be the hardest thing that we ever have to do in this life. Submit and surrender. But it is possible. So I want us to pick up in verse number one. And I want us to just read here through the first six verses is where we'll start. And it says that after this... Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. That means that Paul actually did a job outside of ministry, okay? And he said he went and stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, please note that in your Bible, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent for now, uh, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, I want us to just stop right there. The very first thing I want us to see here in the text is that Paul went to new places, he encountered new people, but the same exact problem. He went to a new place, he encountered new people, but he found the same exact problem. Now, I know you did not come to church this morning for a history lesson or a geography lesson. But if we want to fully understand the context of what's going on, it is good to know a little bit about the culture and the country in which Paul Paul has walked into. Now, I want you to know that Paul just walked 50 miles. 50 miles he walked from Athens to Corinth. And Paul finds himself in the middle of a culture that many describe as the vanity fair of the ancient world. Now, if you wanted it, It was available to you in Corinth. For 500 years, historians record the phrase to Corinthianize. And that phrase meant to be overly sexually immoral. It was a phrase that was often used about the people of Corinth. The city of Corinth was a vile place. It was the perfect location for trade and for travel, and it was filled with sexual idolatry where the most disgusting and debasing deeds took place every single night as acts of worship to a pagan god. I mean, the reputation of Corinth was known over the entire Roman Empire as the place of being sexually immoral. And Paul, actually, for for many of you who do not know and and weren't able to make the Romans Bible study last year, Romans chapter 1 was written from Corinth to the people of Rome. And Paul was surrounded. He had a front row seat to the debauchery that was happening, and he put that debauchery onto parchment and sent it away. Corinth was the capital of Achaia, And one of two of the most important cities that Paul ever visited, the other being Ephesus. And so, with all of this being said, note taker, I want you to write down that the light of the gospel shines the brightest in the darkest places. The light of the gospel shines the brightest in the darkest places. Paul immediately had his senses assaulted as he entered into Corinth. But it is not long and he is joined by some very special people. I mean, refugees that were forced to flee their homeland. Believers who end up serving with Paul to make tents. And then it's not too long that two of Paul's friends, Silas and Timothy, show up as well. And now there's five of them. It's important for us to note this morning that this married couple, Priscilla and Aquila that's talked about here, they're forced to flee their homeland. They, they really probably should not have even been where Paul was at and they happen to be in the same place at the same time with the same mission in mind and that's to impact lost people with the gospel. They left everything They're living in survival mode, forced, and yet in the lives of these everyday people, God is going to use them in extraordinary ways. And some of you need to hear this this morning. I don't know where you find yourself, but I think a lot of people in here need to hear this. Even when your life unfolds differently than you expected it to unfold, We have to remember that that could be the beginning of God's intended path for your life. We can't forget that. If I could be 100% honest with you this morning, my plan never included ministry. It never did. I wanted to be a doctor. In fact, I went to school for almost four years to be a doctor, I was months away from going in to medical school to become a surgeon. I wanted to operate on children and, and save lives, and that's that's the plan that I had. I remember tirelessly working hour and hour and hour while working a full time job, and my wife worked to care for two uh, toddlers. I mean, Israel uh, was about fifteen or eighteen months old uh, when I was in school, and Esther was somewhere right around being born, like right in that that. Uh, time frame. My, My plan for me was not God's plan for me. And what I thought was a horrible plan sending me into ministry, I thought that was horrible. Despite every challenge and every obstacle and every problem, that has arisen over the last 13 years, God has proved time and time again that this was a heavenly design. This was a heavenly design for me to be in ministry. Why do I know that? Because he's directed my path every single step of the way. Every single step. And for 13 years, I have had to cling to a a passage of scripture. That every time something happened and I wanted to give up. And every time something came my some curveball came my way. I had to bring this verse back to my memory over and over and over again. Sometimes 50 and 60 times in the same exact day. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him. Why? Because he will make your path straight. He will. Not me, not my spouse, not my kids, not the money that I make or the car that no, God will make my path straight. He will direct my steps. He will. Church, it's not this morning just that God can use you. God plans to use you. He plans to use you. You, ordinary, regular, everyday people, God plans to use you. And so here is Paul. And he's with his friends and they're making tents during the day and they're ministering to people on the weekends. And then, and then Timothy and, and Silas, they, they show up and, and they bring this love offering to Paul and Paul is able to go into ministry full time. And there are three specific references in Scripture where Paul mentions the love and the support and the prayers and the monetary blessings that he has received from churches. He talks about it in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Corinthians and and Philippians 4. And church, this is why we here want to support church and missionaries financially full-time and help them by going and, and serving alongside of them. And this is the way that you and I can be fully dedicated to the work of ministry without having to actually be a minister yourself. And Paul is in this new place. He met all these new people and he's encountering the same old problem. The Jewish leaders, the people, they're just rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting him. And Paul's statements, well, then then your blood is on your own head. He reveals to us in the text that he himself, Paul, cannot control other people's responses. And so he's not responsible for them. I mean, Paul stayed faithful, but he realized that he had accomplished exactly what God called him to do. And so then he goes, I'm going to move on to the Gentiles. I'm going to move on to the other people. I mean he loved his fellow countrymen and women so much that he wanted them to know Jesus but they refused. They refused. And so I also it's not going to come to the screen but I want us to note something this morning. Our our mission of reaching lost people with the gospel it is urgent. Amen? It's an urgent message. We, we must share the gospel, but you and I have no power or ability to make people receive the message. We don't. And at this point, we see something happen here in the text in just a few verses that is linked to several things that had happened to Paul and the fact that the Gentiles were actually receiving the message while the Jews had rejected the message. And it was perhaps the, the final straw really for Paul that we had already, like, through everything that he had already been through. So I want you to pick back up in verse number 7. And so Paul left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I want us to just stop there. Because the next thing that we see here in the text is a low point and an encouraging moment. A low point and an encouraging moment. I mean, the underlying message, church... That Paul suggests here is concern. Uh, He's worried that he's facing opposition from the Jews and it's going to be the same as what he faced in Thessalonica and Berea. Do you guys remember last week and the week before? Paul was stoned for sharing the gospel in both places. He was attacked for sharing the gospel, and Paul is worried. He's concerned that his efforts are going to be prematurely hindered in Corinth due to the worldliness that is prevailing all around him. I mean, in Athens, Paul experienced a culture shock. Now he goes to Corinth, and he is grappling with morality shock. He's completely awestruck as to the things that are going on. Corinth had an intense mix of sensuality and fragrances and earthly pursuits, and it weighed so heavily upon Paul's spirit, and it led him into a state of despondency or it led him into a state of depression. Here is a man in the midst of deep struggle. And this is the part of Paul that I said that I resonated most with. Despite the fact that the church was growing and people were being saved, Paul was still struggling. He was still in a moment of depression. Church, I just have to say that sometimes in life, We are going to be in seasons of deep struggle. We are. And oftentimes, the people around us may not even know it. They may not even know what is going on inside of you. And while things around you seem good, deep within your soul, you are troubled. Deep within your soul, you feel tormented. And it always leads to this question what do you do? What do you do in the midst of your trouble? What do you do in the midst of your torment? And the solution to Paul's fear was for him to obey Jesus' command. Jesus said, Do not be afraid continue to speak continue to to say the things that are in my word do not keep silent keep getting the word of god out to the people the very very basis uh, of god's command for paul to not be afraid came from a place of overwhelming promise Did you guys see it in the text? The Lord said, do not be afraid. Keep speaking for I am with you. For I am with you. God is with Paul. God is with us. And when you and I understand what that means and who says it, that should be enough for your trouble. That should be enough for your torment. That should be enough for your worry and your anxiety and your fear and your trial. That should be enough. And you know what? While, while I'm thinking about it, church, I've been walking through some things in my life. Just spiritual battles and um, not anything that I'm willing to get into today. But God's really been showing me that he is my protector in the midst of every pain, in the midst of every sorrow, in the midst of feeling lonely, God is there. And I just want to read to you something that I believe is necessary for us um, to know a promise from the very word of God. There's a portion of scripture that I keep coming back to every morning. Sorry, I'm going to try to get through this. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at the swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God and the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. Do we hear that going on in our culture today? The nations rage. The kingdoms totter, but he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Church, the cure for a heavy and a hurting and a broken heart is to hear the voice of God. That's the cure, to hear the voice of God. And where, where can we go That the voice of God is ready and waiting for us. His word. His word, it's there. It's always available. Every moment of every day, it does not matter where you are. It does not matter what you're walking through. The word of God is accessible to you. God is waiting for you to open it up. He's waiting to be able to minister and speak to your heart. I've been a Christian... Since I was a small child and not one day goes by that I don't want to run and cling to whatever I come to in God's word. Because it reminds us of so many things in the midst of our struggle. We're we're reminded in the midst of our struggle that there is a promise of God's presence. Amen. God's presence is promised to the believer. It's there. there. There's a certainty of God's power There's a certainty of God's power in your life. There is the assurance of God's protection that we see in his word. And then lastly, we we also find in God's word the importance of God's purpose in our life. I mean, God comforted Paul by keeping him on mission. That was his comfort. Keep going. Do you ever feel like that in this life? You're in the midst of something so hard and you just sense that the Lord's like, keep going, keep, keep walking, keep persevering, keep moving, you gotta keep going, you gotta keep going, you gotta, oh, it's, an, it's another day, you gotta keep going. You ever feel like that? I mean, th- there were people that still needed to be saved in Corinth, that still needed to hear the gospel. that The people in the city were waiting and God wasn't done he wasn't done but let me say this also to us we are often reminded of the promises that we find in scripture but we also have to understand that some of us just want the security of those promises and then we want to skip the calling of living out the gospel in our life i mean god didn't tell paul all of the things that he told paul so paul could do whatever paul wanted That's not what happened. I mean, so many believers want the promises and then they want to do whatever it is that they want to do. And that's not how it works in the Christian life. Church, God never gives us his presence and security without calling us to action in some way, shape, or form. Uh, God clearly told Paul, do not be afraid, keep speaking, because I'm with you. Do not be afraid, keep speaking, I'm with you. He's calling Paul to activity, to stay active, to fulfill his calling, to keep proclaiming the gospel. Church, it doesn't get any easier from here. It doesn't get easier. Yes, yes, God does tell us in his word that Jesus' yoke is light. We know that. But this world, all the mess and the chaos that's going on, it's not going to get easier. In fact, the Bible tells us it's going to get worse than what we're seeing it right here and right now. And in the coming verses, church, I don't have time to read them this morning, but in the coming verses, the next five verses in this passage of Scripture, they drag out one of the church leaders. And they try to create an uproar in the middle of the city. And they end up beating this man named Sosthenes, a man who believes and follows God. He's only mentioned in one other place in the Bible, and it's the opening line of 1 Corinthians. His name is that of a church leader or an elder of a church. There's no easy place and no easy way to serve God. There's not, there's always a cost. There's always a challenge. There's always a trial. There's going to be moments of of weakness. There's going to be moments where we feel like giving up. There's going to be moments where we feel like we've lost it all. And the point is this, Christian. If we're going to be used by God, then we, we need to realize that it can never be about us it can't be for you note takers i want you to write this down god didn't just save you from something he saved you for something he saved you for something how many of you in here by a show of hands know a man by the name of dl moody i want i want to read to you something that dl moody said A few years before he passed away, he said, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, then and only then will the Holy Ghost come and fill every corner of our heart. He said, but if we are full of pride, if we are full of conceit and ambition, if we are full of self-seeking and pleasure, and if we are full of the world, then there is no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe that many a men are praying to God to fill him when he is already full of something else. God can use you. God will use you, but it's not about you It's not about you, and here's the amazing thing. God uses others to help you, and he often sends them to you. And so I want us to pick up now and jump to verse number 18. And I want to read uh, this last little chunk here before we move on. And he says that after this, Paul stayed many days longer, and they took leave of the brothers, and they set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila at Sentrae, he had, his, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And when they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. Um, and when, verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and they went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and uh, and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the ways of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus." So the last thing I want us to see here in the text is that he gets a partnering in ministry. He partnered in ministry with people. And at this point in the text, we have seen several people along the way that have helped Paul and partnered with him. Many believed if it had not been for Aquila and Priscilla, they, there may very well not have been a church in Corinth. Uh, every pastor, every minister Thanks God for people like Silas and Timothy, for people like Priscilla and Aquila, because those people risked their life for their quote-unquote pastor. They risked their life for him. One of my favorite sayings in this life is that nothing great is ever achieved alone. Did you guys catch it? Nothing great is ever achieved alone. We see it over and over and over again. That God used these ordinary, everyday, regular people and enter Apollos. Enter Apollos here at the end. A guy who is zealous and he's gifted and yet he still needs help. He doesn't have it all figured out. Apollos was this passionate guy. I mean, he preached at, as, as the text indicates, at a boil. Like, he was hot all the time when he was on fire. Uh, do you guys uh, in here know who Martin Lloyd-Jones is? Pastor, theologian, great theologian of yesteryear, author. Pa- Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say that preaching is logic on fire. He used to preach and he he would say things like that. But the problem for Apollos was that he didn't have a full understanding of Christ and the cross and the fulfillment of scriptures. And so what do Aquila and Priscilla do? They help him. They help him. Uh, They share and show him the reality of scripture. Uh, They didn't ridicule him. They didn't pull him aside and punish him. They, they didn't run him off from the church. They came alongside him and they walked with him in this life. These regular, everyday, ordinary people helping this gifted and learned young man who was full of passion grow in his walk. If that isn't a beautiful picture of discipleship in the Bible, I don't know what else is. It's a beautiful picture for the believer. And before I go any further, I could not help but take a moment to express my sincerest gratitude to some people in this room for their support and guidance in my ministry journey. The very first people, and I'm not going to belabor this, but the very first people I want to say thank you to are my mom and dad. Because I would not be here without them at all. Mike Golden, Amy LaForge, I know Steve is out out there, and Ken Davis, members of our church board. Kim and Rick. Uh, Tim in the back. These are just a few of the individuals that have given a presence alongside of me that has been a tremendous source of strength and inspiration these last three years of being here. I just want to say thank you because your wisdom and your encouragement and the countless ways that you have shared your experiences with me have not only been invaluable, but they have also shaped my growth as a pastor these last three years. Your willingness to invest your time into developing my giftings, I will always hold dear. Always. Always. I'm continually humbled by the people in our church that are committed to the very shared mission that we have here. And I want you to know that as your pastor, I look forward to the continued blessing of relationship with each and every one of you here. And I just want to say thank you for being an essential part of what we do here. Each and every, even the those that were not named, uh, thank you for being an essential part of our church. Because we wouldn't be able to do this without you. Church, this moment in time for Apollos could have been so hard. Apollos is a young man. He's smart. A super smart guy. I mean, obviously people could see his giftedness. I mean, they could see it. And yet he submitted and he humbled himself to the help. Uh, Only humble people will receive instruction and help from other people who come alongside of them. I mean, later we see Apollos ends up being used to such a greater capacity by God in the church in Corinth, all because he took a moment to humble himself and allow some regular, everyday, ordinary people to help him. Man, I want to close by saying this this morning. I want to ask us to think about something as we close. Who are you helping? Who are you helping? Or who is it, maybe, that you need to receive help from? Who is it? I mean, think about the discipling relationships in your life. Who are you coming alongside? Who's coming alongside you right now? Uh, Are you listening to those people? Are you thinking, I don't need this? Are you thinking, I can't disciple anybody? Because, I mean, the reality this morning is that every single one of us needs people in our lives that are investing in us. Even, Even this guy right here. Needs people in his life that are investing in him. So I just want to say this to you. We need partners. We need people who help us. We need people to encourage us. And dare I even say we need people in our life to correct us we need people to pray with us and for us why why did god create and institute the church yes because he had a mission but he also gave the church to its people because he wanted us to know that we're not alone we're not alone in our trials and our struggles and our suffering we're not alone in our moments of of triumph and joy I mean, God can end up taking painful moments and problems from your past to help other people. We're all learning from Paul this morning, aren't we? I mean, God doesn't do things in your life just for you. Everything that God does is to accomplish his plan, which is to make more disciples. Do you remember how the message started? God used everyday, ordinary people to accomplish his plan. You know that guy D.L. Moody that I was just talking about a few minutes ago? D.L. Moody was reached with the gospel by a shoe salesman in Chicago. A man named Edward Kimball. An everyday, average Joe kind of guy. A man who just had a heart for Jesus. And he reached D.L. Moody with the gospel. Do you know that it is said of D.L. Moody that he had an opportunity to lead over a million people to Christ during the time of his ministry? A million people. And yet it was this everyday, ordinary, average Joe who God used to reach the man who he used to do extraordinary things. I mean, God is still using everyday people to do extraordinary things today, isn't he, church? God is still good, isn't he, church? Yeah, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this place, Lord, and we just thank you so much for your word, for the encouragement today of of the text, that even in our moments of weakness and our pain, our, our depression, our anxiety, our fear, whatever it is, Lord, that you're still faithful that we can count on you and your presence to be there with us. Lord, we thank you and we love you. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us to continue to speak out even in the midst of our trial. I pray, Lord, that you would, um, in this moment, use today's message to impact our lives in a way that we begin to recognize and see that we need people around us, that we need to be surrounded by other believers that will help strengthen us and pray with us and for us. God, we thank you for the people that you do send into our lives, the people that have made an impact, the people that walk alongside of us, that don't push us aside, that don't ridicule us, We thank you for them, Lord, and the blessing that they are. And and Lord, we thank you for the people that reached those people. Um, So, God, give us a heart for uh, the lost. Give us eyes to see them. Give us mouths to to speak with liberty and boldness. Uh, Holy Spirit, prepare the way, Uh, pave the path as we uh, reach our community with the gospel. And I ask and pray these things in Jesus' precious, mighty, and holy name. Amen and amen.